Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We just sang about it. For those who are in a place where they're, they've kind of come through the valley and they're standing on this mountaintop and they can see the view, God, I thank you that they can look back and see your faithfulness and how you've come through in unexpected ways. And probably in ways that was more than they asked or at least different than they asked because you know best. God, we thank you. Father, for those who are maybe in the valley and they're not seeing it yet, Father, I pray a couple things. One, that you remind them that you're not finished with it yet. But two, you would remind them of your faithfulness in the past. And that that would give them hope that you will continue to be faithful in the present as well as into the future. Father, I thank you. I don't have to ask. We don't have to ask that you would be with people. I thank you that you are with them, that you walk with them, you lead and guide, you comfort and you counsel. God, you truly are good. God, forgive me for the times I find myself forgetting that you're faithful. Forgive me for the times, God, where I allow emotions to cause me to react rather than to sit still and to trust. <clears throat> Jesus, I thank you for the difference that you make in our lives. And now, God, as we open your word, I pray that you would take a passage that I feel like many read and might struggle with the parts of it. And, and yet, Jesus, I pray we would see the beauty of it, the beauty behind it, of what you've created when we do it correctly. So God, we commit this time to keep us teachable and humble to receive, keep my opinions and my agenda to myself. May we only hear your truth, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. We're going to take a little bit of a detour, get to Colossians chapter 3 in just a second. But we're going to start from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1. When you look at the whole chapter, it's this kind of bird's eye view of God creating everything. And I know that there's people on both sides of the debate. Is it, is it a young earth or is it an old earth? Is it literal six days or is it thousands and thousands of years? I'm just going to say that God created it. And I say the first day and the second day, there's morning and evening. I'm going to go with what the Bible says. And when you see that God created everything, you see this bird's eye view from when he created light and he created stars and moon and sun and planets and Everything we see in the universe up above, the best that we can, and then everything on the earth, every particle of dirt, every rock, water, every mountain. He creates the concept of beauty and knowledge. He creates sunsets and sunrises. And you say, well, that's not really a sunset or a sunrise. I know, we're just spinning at a thousand miles an hour. So he's done all that stuff that just makes beauty. God created everything, and he said, it's what? He says it's good. And then in chapter 2, it goes from this bird's eye view of God creating to this very detailed one part of God's creation, which is when God created man and woman. And that's where we're going to land today. And I think it's important, especially in a time that we're facing today, to look at what it is that God says about male and female as well as husbands and wives. And we look, at it from his, we look at it from his scriptures and not to downplay anything that anybody's facing or going through, not to look at, hey, your past failures or victories or the future ones or the present. Just what does God say for the moment? 
that we can apply in order that we're living what? So we get the, we get the extras that God wants to give. Well, God will bless however he wants. But what if our whole motivation behind everything that we do was to just love Jesus and be obedient to what he says because he's worthy and let him decide after that? Friends, I think it's so important. Why? Because God created everything. And in verse chapter 1, verse 31 of Genesis, it should be up on the screen, it says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And I know that for many of you, you've been part of the church community for a while, you go, there you go. He always goes back to that verse. He always goes back to 31, because I think it's so important. For those that say, well, I haven't really heard this. Okay, then this is brand new, and hopefully your mind will explode like the first time I got to see it, and God revealed it. And for those that's like, I've heard this, just take a nap, take a nap for a quick second. Check your text. I'm going to go to this Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. The word good there. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean pretty good. It's okay. It's all right. It's, there's so much more to the Hebrew word there. It means good, merry, desirable. Now listen to these next three. In order, usable, and efficient. I think those three are so important. Then he goes on to, the word goes on to describe itself as friendly, kind, morally good, excellent, happy, and right. But those three, in order, usable, and efficient. That there is an order when God created everything. And when you see God create, there's light and darkness, there's sun and moon. A sun and moon, opposites. We see those as the opposite, that the, sun, that the moon actually is reflecting the sun, but they seem as opposite. Day and night, opposites, and yet they complement one another. There's an order. There's an efficiency to what God has created. He didn't just create pretty things that we get to look at, things that function, but things that function well, in order, efficient, on purpose. And friends, this includes male and female. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it said, God, so God created man, and that word, the word man is the word Adam, and it means humankind or mankind. So he says that he created man in his own image. He's talking about humanity. He created humanity in his image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Two genders, male and female. Different role, different makeup, and yet equal in value and importance. Friends, different doesn't mean that we're trying to find which one's more important. Guys, when it starts to become that, guys, do you ever find yourself, we compete about everything. I mean, think about it. If you're a Dodgers fan, you automatically can't like a Giants fan. And if when, when the Giants are in town, man, it's just nuts. And you don't want to show up to that game because it's dangerous. We fight, we have competitions about who has the best cell, cell coverage. Wait, you have four bars? I only have one. Oh, you only have one? I've got four. Oh, yours sucks. It's like we always want to fight about things rather than, hey, what's, what's efficient? What works? And as the church, what if we're supposed to move forward and, and realize that, yes, men and women were different? God created us that way on purpose. It was his design. He wanted it this way. And that one is not better than the other. So we shouldn't have male chauvinism. We shouldn't have female chauvinism, if that's even a phrase. I've never really heard that one. It shouldn't be one is greater than the other. And yet we still see different roles and responsibilities in the relationship, especially between husband and wife. That both are appreciated and celebrated and elevated as necessary in the creative and organized work of God. God made both men and women the same with overall responsibility. Watch what he says in Genesis 1.28. And God blessed them. Male and female, he blessed them, both. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. 
and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So there's this responsibility that we have, we, men, women, blessed by God, both. I remember in college there was a, or in my, it was my master's program, I think, which is always so weird to say in my master's program because I'm definitely not a master, but it's like you feel like you did it. But I remember going through it and one of my profs, she's one of my favorite I've ever had, Dr. Sarah Sumner, and she asked this question, is God male? And I'm like, uh, no, I don't think so. And so I just kind of said my little bit and then I waited for all the smart people to start talking. And, but the thing is, she knew both sides so well. So if a person said, well, yes, then she'd, she'd attack it. And then they'd go, no, over here. And then she'd attack it. And i just sit there going, how, are you, how do you know so much? I guess reading really helps. And so she just kind of keeps going. And man, she let us fight about it for four hours. And then people are getting heated. And all of a sudden, some, some young lady says, you know what, I, I think I can pray to God, say, our mother in heaven, hallowed be your name. And all of a sudden, she stopped and just began, she had to start landing the plane. She goes, here's the problem with that, because when Jesus taught us to pray, he said, our father. If you want to pray like Jesus, you got to pray that way. And I went, oh. She knew both sides. Why was it important? It's like, and it's a bunch of youth pastors Someone's like, what does this have to do with anything? And she said, think about the young ladies in your group. Because if God is male, then they're not quite as important as men are. They're not quite as created in the image of God as the man is, and so therefore they need the man. But if men and women are created in the image of God, fully created in the image of God, maybe we'll begin to appreciate one another rather than fight against one another. And I thought, dang, you've got some wisdom so you get this overall responsibility in Genesis 1, and we get to that overall, um, or that, that detailed look in Genesis chapter 2. Look at verse 7. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. If all we did was look at ch- chapter 1, it would think like, okay, men and women created the exact same time, that's it. But that's not how it worked. God created Adam first, so that means ma- mankind. But not in this context, because when, when you read the rest of the chapter, the female wasn't around yet. So he's speaking about the male, the man, the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And then notice that God gave the man a responsibility while the woman's not there. And says this, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. To work it, to take care of it, but also to protect it. That word keep means to protect it. Guys, I'm convinced. Gentlemen, you ever wonder why maybe you're just a little bit protected? I'll just say this. Any dads in here with daughters? Are you a little bit protective? You're like, well, mama bears are. Yeah, I won't mess with a mama bear either. But it's weird how us guys, I mean, I remember even before we had kids and I got two boys, but like we've been walking through and there's Kelly and I mean, if you've never met her, you please do. I mean, she's up visiting her mom this weekend, but like if you've never met her, please do and you'll notice, man, you're kind of a gorgeous woman and Hello, what happened? I'm just joking. So, like, she would hate if I said that. Hopefully, she's not watching. But it's like, like, we're walking through, and I see some guy kind of looking at her. I get really big. I get much bigger. And I don't look at him like Jesus would. I look at him as, like, a frustrated husband. Like, what are you doing? There's this protective thing in me, and I think that God has created us that way. And it's not bad. It's good. But he looks at the man while the woman's not there and says, I want you to work the ground. I want you to keep it. I want you to protect it. I want you to guard it. And then watch the first thing that God says, this is not good. 
After he says it's all good, there's this one thing that's not good. Then the Lord God said, it's Genesis 2, 18 and following. It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. <clears throat> I've brought this up before. I'll say it again, the word helper. And he's speaking about the female, the woman that he's going to be creating. I'll make him a helper, not because the woman is less, uh, less in ability, but it, doesn't it sound more like the guy can't handle it all by himself? I mean, isn't that really what it is? It's like he gives the responsibility to the man. Hey, Adam, this is what you're going to do. And the guy's like, the whole thing? Like, this is pretty huge. Like, I'm by myself and I got some animals. Like, here's a camel. I just named a camel. I just named a lion. I just named the giraffe. Like, we're going to do this all by ourselves? And God goes, no, this isn't good. I better make you a helper. Because, homeboy, you can't get this done. Like, you can't get the chores done by yourself. And it's the same word for helper that God uses for himself in the book of Hosea. I think it's also mentioned in the book of Psalms, where God calls himself our helper because we can't do it. So he says, I'm going to make a helper fit for you. And that word fit means opposite, completely different. I don't know if you know this. Men and women, we are different. We respond to things differently. Like what affects Kelly emotionally? I'm sitting there going, I don't get it. I'm trying. Like she'll explain him. Like I'm really trying to understand, but I don't know what language you're speaking right now. And I might fake. Like I, oh, I totally get. It. And sometimes I'm like, I don't get it. And then I'll explain something. It's like, how could you not see it this way? I'm like, well, because I'm right. And I'm just joking. I don't do that. But it's like we just see it so differently. And here's what happens. I just. It's like if all of a sudden we jump into this. I just wish they understood me. Friends, if that's your gauge for when you'll find peace. I don't know they ever find it. Do you feel heard? Do you feel valued? That's what you should hope for. Yes, absolutely. But understood, maybe not completely in every situation, but different, opposite. Verse 19, now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast, of the field, every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. So guys, the reason we can call hippopotamus a hippopotamus is because of Adam. That's pretty much just like, Adam, the planet is yours. Call it whatever you want. Isn't that amazing? God gave Adam this massive responsibility to name all the animals. Guys, this is going to sound so weird. This is why I believe that it's my job as your pastor to equip you for works of service and give you major responsibilities. So for what? Well, if God picked a guy to name all the animals, who am I to just make sure that you're just doing all the menial things because this is what I want? Like, I want you to tell me, like, dream. What would you want to do? Like, you say, oh, I feel like God's leading us to do this. Maybe he is. And what if we can get behind you? All of us get behind you and see God do that. See, God hands off responsibility to us. And parents, we got to start doing that too. Major responsibilities at a, at a degree, at a pace that maybe our kids can handle. And maybe one, can, one kid can handle more than the other at the moment, but it's because we know and love our kids, but we give responsibility off because that's what our Father in Heaven does. It goes on. That was just a side note. Verse 20, the man gave names to all livestock, to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him and so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. 
Friends, this must have been a fantastic day for Adam. He's just sitting there going, what is all these things out there? And God's like, this isn't good. Let me create out of you a woman. And then there's Eve. And he's like, yes, this is it at last. Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. I'm going to call her woman. I don't know if it's really that, but woman. And then watch what happens. Watch this type of relationship that God created. Therefore, because of all this, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. Gives the responsibility to the man, this is what you're going to do. You're going to leave your father and your mother, you're going to be joined to your wife and hold fast to her, and they shall become one flesh. Friends, the first, mar- the first relationship that God creates was marriage. Marriage was the first thing that God created. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. There's a pastor back east, his name's Kevin DeYoung, and he says this, he says, what makes the woman unique is both that she is like the man, expressed in the covenantal commitment statement, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and that she is differentiated from the man. The text has sameness and difference in view. Adam delights that the woman is not another animal or another man, I'm sorry, and not another man. She is exactly what the man needs, a suitable helper equal to the man, but, opposite, but also his opposite. Equal to man, but also his opposite. Friends, if you need a reminder that men and women are different, believe it or not, video clip. I have them like once every two years. Take a look at this video. Fact of life, women always have more questions than men have answers to. Great example of this. Six, seven months ago, I get a text one day. The text says, please pray for Tom. He was in a bad wreck. I walk into the kitchen where my wife is. I said, hey, I just got a text that said, please pray for Tom. He was in a bad wreck. She said, was he driving? I said, I don't know. I just got a text that said, please pray for Tom. He was in a bad wreck. Were Carol and the kids in the car with him? I don't know. I just got a text that said, please pray for Tom. He was in a bad wreck. Were the people in the other car hurt? I don't know. I just got a text that said, please pray for Tom. He was in a bad wreck. What hospital did they take him to? I don't know. I just got a text that said, please pray for Tom. He was in a bad wreck. She said, well, you don't know anything. What do you know? I know you need to pray for Tom. I just got a text that he was in a bad wreck. Anybody have those conversations in your house? <laughs> yep, all the time. We're different. Then get to Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. There was no shame. Completely open and honest with one another. No fighting for control or dominion over the other. They were just there. They were living. Man, woman, husband, and wife. And then everything was great until chapter 3 and the fall happened. And Adam and Eve in the garden, butt naked, running around. And the enemy comes and starts speaking to Eve. Deceives her, gets her to believe. Hey, you should eat the fruit that God said you shouldn't eat. Because if you do, you'll be like God. In other words, God's holding out on you. And since God's holding out on you, trust me. Do what I tell you to do. And so you get to verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. First, boom, took a bite of the fruit. Adam standing there with her is watching her do this. At no point walked up and said, hey, maybe we shouldn't do this. Just kind of stood there. But she ate first and then she took uh, took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and then he ate. She ate first and then Adam And yet both experienced the same, quote unquote, this revelation. The revelation was that they were introduced to sin and shame. This was what both of them experienced. And then you watch God approach them. 
Now watch the order in which he does. Verse nine, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten the tree of which I command you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. So just throws his wife under the bus. See, Adam was called to work the ground and to keep it, to protect it. And in this, in this instant, he didn't. So there's creation, right? We can look, there's trees and all this stuff that have trees and mountains and sunsets and sunrise, all this stuff. And there's the most prized thing. The pinnacle of God's creation is the what? The woman. And I believe that that was still God saying, Adam, I want you to guard, I want you to work the ground. I want you to keep creation. I want you to protect what it is that I've entrusted to you. And he didn't do it. And so God goes to him first and then God approaches Eve. So it's not like Eve's off the hook. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So here's my question. If it's the exact same thing, they did the same thing. They both took of the fruit. Eve ate first, then Adam, but they both did the same thing. Why go to him first? Why not take them both together? I said, come here. Both of you, come here, come here. What did you both do? No, for some reason, he walks up to Adam first. He says, hey, I, yeah, I know what happened, but come here, Adam. Why go to him first? Because he went to him first, first. When he looked at Adam, I want you to work the ground and keep it. And all of a sudden, here's this fall that happens. And then he goes to Adam and says, what did you do? And then he brings Eve along. Says, what did you do? Why do I think that he went in this order? Now, this is my interpretation. This is my understanding of it. But I have a conviction about it. Because I think the husband, Adam, in this, in this the husband has headship a responsibility. I have a responsibility over my family, but I can't, I can't raise my boys and I can't lead our home by myself. But leadership doesn't mean, hey, I'm, I'm in charge, so shut it and do what I tell you. Because if that's ever a point where leadership is that, guys, that's not leadership. That's forcing. Guys, I feel like when I read about leaders and I look at leaders and I talk to leaders that I respect, I'm like, kind of, would you teach me what's important about being a leader? I want to improve as a leader. I always need to improve as a leader. True leaders are those who can get people rallied around where they're going rather than having to shove them there. But to instill passion or commitment or devotion, to instill this desire to see something greater happen. It's not like, hey, go ahead. It's like, hey, why don't you come with me? Because I'm going to go this way. Would you come with me? But friends, we as a family of Jesus, the church, we have a responsibility that God has given to us to go make disciples. We can't do, no one can do that by themselves. We all need each other to move forward in unity, moving forward for this thing that God has called us to do. But when I look at my home, I'm convinced that I'll stand before God one day and say, what did you do with what I entrusted you? And I'll say, this is what I did and thank you so much for my helper. Because she was awesome. And there's no way I could have done any of this without her. And it doesn't mean, hey, Kelly has to ask for permission. Every time she's going to make a decision, it's permission. Guys, most of the time, it's not us sitting down. Yes, yes, you may. Yes, you may. Kiss my ring. Yes, you may. 
That's not it. It's like, we know the ultimate goal. We want to raise our boys to love Jesus. Here's the goal. And we both got these ideas of how do we raise our boys to love Jesus and to want to serve people better and to make an impact on society in a positive way. Those are big goals, but we both got ideas for it. There's no way that I can do it by myself and there's no way that she can do it by herself. And I know I make jokes here and there, and most men do. It's like, oh, I'm married up, and oh, she's so much smarter. It's like, we actually think, it's like, well, I'm the dumb one. We think that that's actually complimenting her. Like if I say, compared to my wife, I am so stupid. As if she's sitting there going, he just makes me feel great. By putting himself down, you know the thing that irritates my wife is when I do make those jokes about myself, she's like, you need to stop doing that. And I don't sit there and go, you watch your tone. You know what I say? You're right. Because one, I'm created in the image of God and my value is based on who created me. Two, God's brought me on a journey. And for me to not acknowledge that, to always put it down is to not acknowledge the one who's brought me on the journey. And three, it does not honor or elevate her in any way by me putting myself down. So I love when my wife confronts me most of the time. Do you appreciate it when the one, the one who's opposite you confronts you and tells you that? Now pull it back for just a second for those that aren't married. Do you have friends in your life that they'll actually approach you, they think differently than you and they, they do the same thing, they'll confront you on something. Do you have friends that you're willing to call friends who've actually gone through that? It's uncomfortable to bring things up, right? I don't like it, I hate it. Guys, anyone that says, I love conflict, I love it. Like every day I wake up to see if I can have conflict. Guys, you need some help. I don't think that's the norm feeling. I don't think that's right. I don't think Jesus is going, I love conflict. But we have to do it. Do you have people in your life that have actually stood in front of you and said, what you're thinking, it's wrong. And they can show you biblically. Encouraging, loving you in that direction, showing you, hey, this is what scripture's teaching. Or have you done that? And they didn't receive it. Well. Maybe they, didn't, they just disagreed, but it was a cordial thing. Was it still good? Like still family, still friends, we're still gonna move forward even though we disagree. Friends, we gotta be open to who it is that God wants to use in our life to help us see the blind spots. What's that phrase? Uh, your blind spots will kill you. Has anybody heard that phrase? Your blind spots will kill you. The things you don't know are your weaknesses. Those are the things that will kill you so you need somebody who sees them to point them out. We need each other. I think he approaches Adam first because Adam has a responsibility over his wife and over his family and men, I think we do too. Friends, I think it is so important to remember that God created in the beginning man and woman, male and female. I say this, trying to be as gracious as I can, but bold in the process. Friends, I know that there are those, and maybe even in the room, that struggle with gender dysphoria and you will never hear me from the front mock that. And I know that there are many that they kind of make their living on it. Isn't it weird that we'll look at certain struggles while completely ignore others? We'll make fun of that, but we won't, we won't mention anything about greed. We'll make fun of that but we won't say anything about gluttony. 
We'll make fun of that, but we'll keep our own vices silent because they're not, quote unquote, out there. Gender dysphoria is feeling like, hey, there's the, I, know that, I know that my sex is male or female, but I don't feel this way. But for those of you that maybe you're listening, you're watching, you're in the room, I just want to remind you there's a God who loves you, but there's a God who's also set up his commandments and his book for our good. Friends, I'm so thankful that God gave us his word so that I don't act out on every feeling. Because I do believe that when God created everything and looked and said, hey, this is good, and that word good means what? Man, it's good, merry, desirable, in order, usable, efficient, that God created us, male and female. It was his design, his desire. And followers of Jesus, we can stand for truth and we should stand for truth and we should hold to the biblical narrative of what that means, all the while responding and reacting to people who struggle differently than we do in the way that Jesus would. It doesn't mean we condone everything, but we don't push out condemnation. But we call people out of sin into redemption and right standing with God. So if you struggle with it, or you have a family member or a friend that struggles with it, we pray. We pray and we continue to move forward and we gotta figure out, hey, masculine might not mean you know how to build a house. Friends, I don't know how to build a house. I built our family room table because I found a blueprint online. And I picked that one because it was the easiest and I could make it out of two by fours and it was cheap. And I think the first run through, I had to take the legs off and start over. And I can make these flags out of wood just because I've done it so much. But then I remember the first time I was like, oh, I made that. I can make a cornhole thing. And I definitely couldn't. Because you needed to know angles and geometry and I don't. I know how to fill up a car with gas. I know how to drive it. I don't know how to fix it. So when I hear that noise, I try to hear it so I can explain it to the mechanic. What is it doing? If it's not too loud, you just turn up the stereo and you just keep going. Check engine light, optional. That's what I've heard. It's in orange, it's not red all the time. Sometimes it's orange, so it's fine. But what if we define masculine differently? And we looked in the scriptures what if we defied feminine according to what the Bible says? And we appreciate and love both, elevate both. Ladies, I don't want you to prove for the rest of your life you can do what any man can do. And gentlemen, I don't want you to just prove that you can do things better than a woman can do. Ladies, I want you to do everything that God calls you to do. And to do it in a way that brings him honor and glory. And as you do that, and God calls you to places of leadership. Maybe there's different roles and responsibilities, but he calls you to lead something. Friends, ladies, I will be your biggest cheerleader. But gentlemen, the same thing for you when he calls you in a place of leadership to impact. I'm gonna be your biggest cheerleader. Men, women, we need both. And yet in that relationship between husband and wife, there's a difference and it's not better or worse. It's different and we appreciate both. So we come back to Colossians. 
That's the intro, man. I better get going. Verse 12. Before we get to verse 18, let's read 18 and 19 in this context. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Friends, this is the last passage in every wedding that I get to perform and officiate. This is the last passage that I read over the couple. Every single couple, whether they like Jesus or not, whether they believe in him or not, I say, hey, this is what I think that you should do. Apply this. But especially, look at verse 17, and we jump right into verse 18. Read the context. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. I'm guessing maybe one or two words stood out for some, one or two people. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. Why would Paul have to say, especially with husbands, don't be harsh with them? Why? Because they were being harsh with them. How do you take this husband and wife thing and make it play out? I remember our, our first dance, Kelly and I, our first dance. We practiced. I don't do a lot of dancing because the world can't handle it. When I let it go, it is... It's on. I rarely fast dance, uh, <laughs> hardly ever. Slow dance with my wife as much as she wants to, absolutely. With my wife. Nobody else. And so I remember our first dance, we're practicing, we're in her parents' garage doing the whole thing, and I didn't, I didn't do a whole lot of dancing before that, but I was kind of showing my moves. I was like, yeah, this would be great, this would be great. Not fancy, just dancing. I know that today it's different. It's like they have like the whole choreography and they get like a professional come in and they're just going nuts. Okay, that wasn't us. And so I remember going out there and the music starts and we start and I'm just leading the best that I can trying to figure out just to stay within rhythm and, and she just followed. And we just danced and I just led, she followed and it wasn't like, I'm in charge, woman. You just do what I say. Guys, it wasn't, we didn't even care in the moment. You know what the most important thing in that moment was? The dance. Just enjoy the dance. Like she wasn't sitting there going, okay, you get two more minutes, then I'm in charge. And I was like, no, you get one. Shh. Read the Bible. No, the purpose was the dance. We just wanted to enjoy the dance. And if I get to lead her in that and she just is going with me, gosh, what a beautiful moment that is. And what an unbelievably awkward moment for that couple as everyone's just watching them dance. But really, it's for the couple. And so we go back, verse 18, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. That word submit means this, to arrange under subordinate, to subject. He's sitting there going, ah, it's a hard one. So two ways of looking at the word, the Greek military term meaning to arrange troops or divisions in a military fashion under the command of a leader. Now, if you want your marriage to look like that, that's what it means for you. Like if, you're, if your marriage is this battle, Okay, get, get, your, get your troops in order. But non-military use is this. It's a voluntary attitude of giving and cooperating. That's the word I loved. 
cooperating. Assuming responsibility, carrying a weight. He says it further. He explains it more in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and following. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand that what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord, your, Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now watch this. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Right after he says that, he jumps into the next part. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And again, you sit there and go, gosh, I still don't like that word. Until you look at the example. The example is Jesus in his church. Jesus took a cross. He took a cross. He served us, the bride, to the point of death. And then resurrected and came back from the dead. And as his bride, the church, it should be a joy. Man, I'll cooperate. I'll submit to you. Friends, it's not like I look at this pastor, how women pay attention. No, no, no. It's reminding me as part of the bride of Jesus, as part of the church, Man, I'll submit to him because he's such a loving God. And he's in charge of me. And I'm so thankful for that. Because why? He's not going to domineer over me. We have a God who serves, cares, and loves. Shows concern, goes first. Does everything necessary. And I get it. Reading that passage... Without the context of the husband, it sounds rough, and so we read the next part. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Guys, you realize that in this culture, husbands, they had their wife, and their wife they actually kind of considered more like property, and then the husband could go out and have as many mistresses as he wanted, and it was acceptable in society. And here comes Paul going, okay, followers of Jesus, husbands, pay attention. You need to love your wife and stop being harsh with them. How do I know you said stop being harsh with them? Guys, because the way that that's worded, this, this idea of harshness, the way it's worded means to stop doing that which is already in process. I need you to stop being harsh with them. So, just like we read in Ephesians for the wives, we look at Ephesians for the husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might, what, sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any other such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Isn't it amazing? Paul talks, I don't know, sentence and a half about husbands and then jumps into Jesus. I mean, when, Jesus, when Paul says, I just want to know Christ, I'm all about Jesus, he's talking about, he's talking about husbands and wives and then jumps into relationship with Jesus. Sounds like a preacher that just can't stay focused. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands, husbands, our example, our example to follow is Jesus. Just the way that Jesus loved us, the church, we love our wives the same way. This is how we're supposed to give up our lives for the women that God has entrusted to us. I laid down my life for Kelly. 
Because my example is Jesus who laid down his life for his church. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh. Husbands, this is what we're supposed to do. But nourishes and cherishes it. I'm called to nourish Kelly and cherish Kelly. Do you see it? Just as Christ does the church because we're members of his body. And then he goes back to this passage in Genesis chapter two. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And then right after that, he says something like this. Wives, make sure that you respect your husbands. And husbands, make sure that you love your wives. And then he jumps into the next section, talking about kids and parents. We'll talk about that probably next week. But he says, don't be harsh with them. See, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, he says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives as an under... <laughs> this is, this is going to be another fun one. In an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel. Guys, God bless you. Have a great... I'm just joking. What do you mean by that? It's like, oh, they're less than... No! And there's two things here. One, if I take the strongest man and the strongest woman physically... I'm pretty sure most of the time, 100% of the time, the man can bench press more than one. That's one. Here's what I actually think it really means. When you look at that phrase, the weaker vessel, it means like this, like fine porcelain, like something that's exquisite. Gentlemen, if you sit there and go, you know why I love her so much? Because I can talk to her like one of the guys. I don't know that she likes it. And in that moment, I don't know that you're actually being obedient to what God has called you to do to treat her like fine porcelain. Ladies, it does not mean you're less than. It means you're different. And gentlemen, we're not supposed to be treating them like one of the guys. We're supposed to be treating them differently with respect and honor. Friends, I still open the door for my wife. Not because she gets to it and goes, I can't do it. I'm the weaker vessel. I can't, it's too, I can't do it. I just want to honor her. You know who else does it now? My boys, for their mom. And if at some point they forget, I get the dad look. And they're like, I know, I know. Why? Because I want my boys to just treat with respect those who are fine porcelain. That's what I think that means. Here's why you show them honor as the weaker vessel. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Why is that so important? Because in a culture in this day that devalued women and elevated men, here comes Peter going, I want you to understand, you both are heirs of, great, of the grace of life. Hey, husbands, the wife that some of you are treating like trash, they are co-heirs with you of the same grace of life. Equality. Different. Different roles. Different makeup. But equal. What happens if I don't? <clears throat> well, he gives the warning. So that your prayers may not be hindered. Husbands, you want to see God not ever answer your prayer? Yeah, pay attention. Gentlemen, pay attention. You want to see God say, ah, your prayers are affected. You treat your wife poorly? What's it mean there? So that your prayers may not be hindered. You want to hinder your prayer life? Treat your wife badly. And your prayer life will be hindered. 
I don't know how else to get around that. So how do we apply this? The worship team can come back up. Here's the first application for those that are married. How's your marriage? Is it this? Husbands looking for opportunities to serve and to love, to sacrifice, to treat your wife as fine porcelain, as exquisite, as the, as the pinnacle of God's creation. Are you looking for those opportunities or are you just expecting to be served? Wives, are you looking at these passages and saying, oh man, my man, my man does this. Praise God for your man. If he doesn't, what are you doing? What are you saying? How are you responding? Is there respect for him? What would happen if men, we did what the scriptures say, and women, you did what the scriptures say, And we look at this and we move forward in what it is that God has called us to do. And we show a world, hey, marriage, it's not just two people coming together and hopefully they'll make it. We want to do the best that we can in what? Representing Jesus. For those of you that have experienced a divorce, this isn't a passage that's supposed to make you feel condemned. This is, there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. The reason we bring out passages like this is that we can prepare those who haven't been married yet, those who are married. But for those who have experienced the pain that, that, that comes with divorce, I promise you this, there is healing still. There's hope. And Jesus is going to continue to do the work that he's begun in you, and he will not stop until he completes it. But you have to engage the process with him. But friends, I know there's times we get into passages and go, well, I just, this isn't me yet. This isn't me or I'm not there. And in those times, okay, but God, what else do you want me to see here? Because there are many that are here and we, don't, we need to talk about it. What does the Bible say about it? Because again, it's not two people who, who fall in love and come together and then hap live happily ever after. Think about it. The first relationship ever created was by God and he created marriage. And marriage is supposed to be this representation of what it looks like to be in relationship with Jesus. It's so much deeper and so much deeper of a, of a mystery than just two people coming together. And so we need to be prepared as we go. Application number two, this is for everyone. <clears throat> if we are the church, the bride of Christ, and Jesus laid down his life and sacrificed for us, and we're called to live as Jesus does, then do you not see how we're called to go and live in self-sacrificial life for others? That I'm supposed to go and find those, find people and just sacrifice my life for them. And isn't it, hard, isn't it easier said than done? To be last, I was telling my D group this morning, I, uh, we took Dylan to Knott's on Monday um, before he had to go back to school. Just a last minute idea. Just Kelly and I and he, Tyler was working. And you know what bugs me the most? I mean, crowds freak me out, but there wasn't a lot of people there. I can't stand when people cut in line. I hate it. And somebody said, they go, whatever, everyone does it. Okay, you are the people. We need to have a conversation. Because at some point, I kept seeing them go by, and at some point, I was like, do you know anyone up there? 
And I probably shouldn't have said that because I don't think it looked anything like Jesus. <clears throat> what I should have done is just rolled out the red carpet. So there you go. I should get out of your way. I don't know. I'm a, big, I'm a big guy. I found myself fr- so frustrated over a line to a train ride that sucked. <laughs> so friends, I'm still learning. I need to lay down my life for the betterment of others. Not just because I'm supposed to. Because I want Jesus to change me by his Holy Spirit to where all of a sudden I want to. I want to do that. Like it's my joy to get to sacrifice myself so that you can go forward. Friends, we can apply that, can't we? Let's close together. Let's pray. Father, for those who are in a place, maybe they're not dating or they're not engaged, They're just thinking through it. Father, I pray that you would use what we looked at today as a way to prepare them. Most important decision outside of surrendering to Jesus is if and who we marry, God, give them wisdom. Help them to set up standards now. God, for those who are in a marriage, and maybe it's rocky, Father, I pray, by your Holy Spirit, you would help them to apply these things. For those that say, God, it's going great. May May we not stop. Keep going. Be obedient. And God, for those who've experienced a breakup or a divorce, Father, oh, thank you that you're the God of all comfort. You comfort us when we're downcast. You comfort us by sending the friends, by your Holy Spirit. You're so good. But in all things, God, I pray, Jesus, that we would make you our foundation. It's all about you. We thank you for your faithfulness. Be pleased as we sing this last song too. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you more than you know.